Democracy OS is an open source application for online decision making. Santiago Siri is the president of Democracy OS. Santiago, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much for, for having me, Jeff. Your co-founder, Pia, described our system as one where, quote, a few people make daily decisions for the many, and the many get to vote once every couple of years. And 500 years ago, this was an appropriate setup. Why is it inappropriate today? Well, I think that there's definitely a crisis of representation if you look at the rise of uh, manifestations that we have seen in most of modern democracies today, even in the U.S., with the Occupy movement on one side and the Tea Party on the other. Um, and I think that this representation crisis leads to polarization, uh, leads to um, society perceiving that the political class uh, is not really representing their interests. And uh, I think that certainly has that has to do with the fact that Pretty much everything has changed around our life and the way we connect with each other, the way we communicate, the way we work, even the way we fall in love, except the way we govern ourselves as a society. And um, I think that uh, certainly the political system is one of the most conservative systems out there and in, uh, it, can, uh, it needs an upgrade if we look into the challenges of the 21st century. So with that introduction, what is Democracy OS? Democracy OS is an open source uh, free software uh, for democratic decision making. It's a very simple tool where you can get informed about the issues being debated in Congress, uh, debate with other citizens in a platform that rewards the best arguments and vote how you would like your representative to vote in Congress or in any other institution. So I'm a voter. Uh, I download Democracy OS. How do I use it? So uh, it's uh, an open source software, so uh, a lot of organizations set up their own server running a Democracy OS instance, and uh, you set up a, a web page where uh, any user can access to your Democracy OS instance, and from there you can run your the democratic participation process entirely online uh, using the software um, uh, from, from your own infrastructure. Um, what, what type of organization would be using this? So we've been working with political parties, uh, federal governments, local governments, uh, groups of activists, non-profit organizations, any kind of institution that has multiple stakeholders that need to make a decision uh, can benefit from a tool like this. And, um, and uh, obviously we are understanding, trying to understand and researching on how uh, the, the technological participation can synchronize with the institutional processes of these organizations. So what kinds of decisions have you seen people making on these on this platform? Oh, we have seen a lot of very interesting cases. Um, for example, the Congress of Buenos Aires implemented Democracy OS. Uh, they piloted 16 uh, bills on the platform officially uh, with the commitment of whatever the bill got most votes will be treated in the floor of the Congress. And to our surprise, for example, we saw that a bill that came from a minoritarian party, a party that only holds one seat in Congress, uh, was actually the one that was most voted because it was about taking care of nurses in public hospitals, reducing the working hours of nurses from 12 hours a day to 6 hours a day in, in public hospitals. That was a bill that has been dormant for 10 years, and um, we saw suddenly that bill getting a lot of traction online because the political party involved with it in, in, in defending the interests of nurses 
uh, really took action in the platform and beat uh, even the, all the other bigger parties that were in power. That's an example of, of many uses. We've seen it uh, in Tunisia, it was used to debate the national constitution. Um, a political party like Podemos in Spain used it internally to define their internal party policy. And uh, we learn from these uh, use cases and, and try to understand what's valuable to these organizations. When users vote on Democracy OS, how how is that binding from the from the point of like from the point of view of the elected officials who who actually have to carry forth uh, the higher level interpretation of that of that user's vote? Um, you know how 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 do how are the how do the people why do the people have to vote? Or why do the um, the the senators or the higher the higher level governing organizations have to vote? That's a great question, and and that's actually the main challenge of a technology like this. What we did when we began, we began the development of Democracy OS three years ago uh, is that we also created our own political party. Um, it's called the, the Net Party in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and the, the idea of this political party is to have candidates that are committed to always vote in Congress according to what citizens decide in Democracy OS. We cannot force the politician to vote according to the platform, but we can, uh, coming from a political party designed to use these kind of technologies, we can actually tie the entire political capital of the politician to, to that promise. And uh, that was one way we figured that was feasible to to guarantee or, or to provide a certain level of guarantee that whatever you end up voting the tool has an institutional impact and it's not just a, a, a survey online. Uh, that said, now we are looking into new challenges regarding uh, how we can uh, use Democracy US with uh, digital institutions of all kinds using the blockchain and figure out even uh, a lot of the aspects that have to do with not just voting, but also guaranteeing that whatever you end up voting online has an institutional impact. And if institutions are run in an entirely purely digital way, uh, I think that democracies can be more compatible with that than with, tra with traditional institutions. So I definitely want to get into more of the net party and I want to get into the blockchain stuff. But first, a, a more naive question how do you verify identities on this platform? Because, you know, traditional voting, you know, you get one person, one vote. Um, but that becomes a lot more difficult when you take things into cyberspace. Excellent question. Um, that's, that's the key thing. The two, the two things that differentiate an election from a survey is a strong identity validation and institutional commitment. And uh, so far, Democracy OS, as an open source software, uh, lacks those two elements. I think those are the two aspects that we need to work on and develop further on. Um, and the identity validation is a very big problem in itself. Uh, that's also another interesting element that can be uh, uh, that can that that we can use the blockchain in in a very useful way in order to at least uh, uh, pro provide uh, some credentials that are. Uh, able to guarantee that you are who you say you are but um, uh, that's a, that's a very important element another aspect of identity validation is uh, so far democracy is what it does is it's basically validation through email which is extremely basic but uh, as you are um, as the stakes are higher and you need stronger identity validation and avoid bots and duplicated identities in the platform 
uh, what we're trying to work on right now is figuring out uh, protocols of peer-to-peer uh, -peer validation of identities uh, and see can, how can those be played out because we want to avoid like a, a central uh, entity that is the ultimate validator of who gets to vote and who does not get to vote. So what are the what are the peer-to-peer -peer identity management solutions you're looking at? Um, well, we've been talking, for example, with the folks of OneName.com. They are an identity, a blockchain-based identity startup uh, based in New York. Um, uh, there are a couple of other ones looking into that problem. It's a massive problem, the, 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 the really guaranteeing online identity. Um, and uh, to be honest, I'm, we have a lot of open questions right now. Um, I think well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working actually on a, on, a, on a piece of software as we speak regarding specifically that aspect of the technology, and uh, it's an ongoing process. But it's certainly not a, a trivial thing to sort out. But it's a fundamental one if you want to do online voting the right way. Have you looked at Keybase? No, I haven't heard of them. No, no. Oh, you should definitely check out Keybase. Keybase is I actually did a show on them. Um, I think it's kind of like a, a cryptographic key system that uses you know your different online identities to to verify you so so you know if you just have facebook that's one source of identity but you can also have you know your github account your linkedin account um you know you can have some some sort of identity on a blockchain system and the idea is this this consensus of your different identities can um, asymptote towards a reliable sense of identity, which I think is basically like as good as you can get, because you know even with with in-person voting systems, you're going to have some times where people submit fraudulent votes. Yeah, um, and it's uh, you know uh, fraudulent votes are uh, always prone to happen in these kinds of platforms. Um, we want to also grow beyond just the traditional concept of direct democracy or direct voting. Uh, another interesting idea that is out there that we're exploring with is this uh, concept of liquid democracy, where um, you can vote directly on any issue or you can delegate your vote to appear uh, based on, uh, uh, on, on a certain kind of knowledge. So say, for example, I trust your knowledge on the environmental issues, then I can uh, trust you to vote on my behalf on any topic that is tagged as environmental issues. Uh, so we're exploring those mechanisms of decision making and, uh, and in order to, to provide more, more interesting ways for the collective to think out uh, 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 solutions to problems. Okay, so let's talk more about the blockchain. How does Democracy OS use the blockchain? So far it does not use the blockchain. Um, oh, okay. So uh, the software is, um, we, I think it's still in its very early stages. Um, and I think that uh, there's certainly a lot of potential in, the, in, in, in using the blockchain in the sense that I think that what the blockchain enables at the end of the day is the ability to create uh, institutions that run uh, purely on digital code by securing the transactions on this decentralized ledger. And... Um, our, our concern or interest with, with, with the blockchain is uh, to see if we can provide a, a toolkit to enable anyone to set up a, a, an institution on top of it and provide the, the proper tools to let the, anyone do the governance of that institution 
uh, using uh, a technology like Democracy OS. What we care about, particularly with the blockchain, is um, uh, providing a, a governance uh, for, for any kind of organization or institution running on top of the blockchain. And uh, okay. we have to, to, to figure out that. That's, I think it's a big road that we can end up taking. Okay, so let me see if I'm getting this right. Because I, I as I understood, like I thought d blockchain was core to democracy OS's technology. But I think what you're saying is that these blockchain, uh, d these different blockchain networks, you know, Ethereum, Ripple, uh, Bitcoin, uh, other things that are built on the blockchain, they need some sort of voting. And you're saying that democracy OS has a chance to be the voting platform that sits on top of blockchains. So... Um, is that inaccurate? No, no. It, it, you know the the you know voting by itself. It's not uh, you know understanding the 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 vote as a currency. Uh, I think is is one way of uh, securing that um, uh, that each vote uh, was properly counted. Uh, that it was counted proper. Uh, that that it wasn't. Uh, that each each voter needs to be able to verify their own vote at any time. It needs to verify that that vote was counted and it was counted in a proper way that they have actually voted. And also they need to encrypt it in order to avoid being pressured by someone to show you, uh, to show him how you voted on a certain issue. Mm. Uh, those are all the challenges related to the vote token. And um, an interesting element of the blockchain is that we can use uh, satoshis or small transactions uh, to express those uh, uh, votes and, and to understand the dynamic of the vote as a currency. That's like the first layer of what we need to do. So once the vote is secure uh, and identity is properly validated, uh, also using similar tokens, uh, I think that the next thing that we need to figure out is, well, any institution that is uh, willing to acknowledge the result or the outcome of an election, then uh, it must provide, after such election, the resources to the person that won the election to to take such uh, to, to 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 execute on such decision, and um, uh, that that that's why it's once you start diving into this problem, you start with voting, you start to understand voting, the voting dynamics, the vote as a currency, but as you go deeper, you understand that it's um, what we really need to figure out is how institutions are governed, how distributed institutions are governed uh, that are mounted on top of the blockchain. And we're bullish on the blockchain because it, it basically provides a layer of security, of decentralization, and, and, and fundamentally of trust that is core to what makes uh, institutions worthy. Uh, at the end of the day, every single institution that is out there uh, is, is basically uh, uh, a, a, an organism that guarantees us uh, trust uh, in order to, to do transactions of any kind. So, yeah, and speaking of uh, governance around the blockchain, what do you think of the debates that are going on uh, around the blockchain? I, I actually have kind of stopped paying uh, close attention to the area, um, but the last time I checked, there was this big debate around whether bitcoin was going to be forked or not yeah the famous bitcoin versus bitcoin xt i've been following a little bit of that and i think it's setting a very interesting precedent of what um, 
uh, what regulation means in the digital age. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I was asked recently in an interview if governments should regulate the internet. And at the end of the day, governments can uh, uh, legislate laws that claim that the, the law of gravity is no longer a law, but gravity will still happen. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing with digital code is that there's no uh, possible law written on ink or paper that can actually have an impact on digital code at the end of the day. Uh, it's just a complete different paradigm. Digital code. Well, they can't balkanize the internet, though. What do you mean by balkanize? Uh, I mean, like North Korea, right? Like North Korea has oh, its yeah. own internet. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, balkanize us in the Balkans. Yes, uh, that's that's that internet of silos, the internet in China, the internet in North Korea, in Russia. That's a big threat. I think nation states are definitely a threat to the internet. Even the United States, at a certain extent with the NSA and all that has been going on and we learned about in the last couple of years, certainly shows that the interests of nation states are not as compatible to the interests of the internet as a state. Um, or the internet as a... Uh, the way I see it is that we live in a world that we have an infrastructure basically consisting of corporations and nation states, banks and other industrial giant uh, 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 types of organizations. And uh, what we're witnessing is a, an emergent superstructure that is disruptive of that previous infrastructure. And that superstructure is certainly the internet that has changed the way we communicate. But uh, I think that in the next couple of decades, as the blockchain evolves, uh, the internet is going to change the way we build, create, and govern ourselves through digital institutions. The internet of institutions, I think, is uh, I think, a, a, something very interesting that we want to pursue. Let's talk more about the technology stack of Democracy OS. So you have organizations who can put Democracy OS on a server somewhere and you know a, a voter can go to a web page that accesses that server. What is the technology stack that Democracy OS uses? What are these organizations deploying on their servers? So Democracy OS is uh, entirely coded in JavaScript. It runs on, on Node. Um, uh, uses MongoDB. Uh, it can be easily deployed in a Heroku instance. Uh, so it's it's pretty. I, I'd say that for today's standards, it's it's using pretty well-tested technologies. Um, I think one key reason to to work on JavaScript is first off because of the sizable open-source community uh, currently developing web apps on that on, on that computer language, and secondly, it's a computer language that can run pretty much in any kind of uh, tooling machine out there. And uh, that universality of uh, JavaScript, I think it's uh, also an interesting uh, element of, of how we decided to, to work on, on Democracy OS. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, um, uh, I'd say that right now the source code has a, 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 is a bit complicated because it grew after three years. To become uh, to have too many modules and and to become a, a little bit complex in its uh, maintainability, but um, the key thing for us uh, has been to try to understand the simplest user experience possible, because the real challenge that we face with this kind of technology is uh, getting people engaged. Uh, it's not easy to engage people online, especially for civic purposes, for political issues. People like to complain, but then to get on board on a platform where you can 
uh, both is, is, is sometimes a bit hard and, and we focus on, on the simplicity of the user experience as a, as a key feature for the, for the software. Tell me more about that. How do you whittle down Democracy OS to the core features, the core simplicity that you need it to do? Um, well, we certainly started a lot of uh, with, uh, complex ideas at the beginning, um, but um, we always stuck to this idea of getting informed, debate, and vote. Like uh, the deliberative process of democracy has consists of those three elements. And, um, you know, the voting aspect is very straightforward. It's just binary voting, yes, no, or abstention, if you want to abstain. Um, uh, Information-wise, it's like a blog post. Uh, the debate aspect is uh, a simple forum that works in a similar way to Reddit. Um, we didn't reinvent the wheel in any of these features. We kept on a, a very simple approach to see the bills, get informed, and, and vote on them. Um, and we haven't moved very far away from that. That led us, uh, I think the main reason for the growth of Democracy US has been the fact that it's open source. That is a very compelling aspect for uh, a lot of uh, activists and political organizations around the world, which uh, the new generations already understand the importance of free software and open source technology, especially for civic purposes where you require to be transparent if you want to do it the right way. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, our challenges have been, uh, we have our technological challenges, but so far because we try to, to get into a very hostile environment such as politics, uh, a lot of our challenges were more cultural, uh, you know, working with uh, countries in Latin America that had very hostile governments, um, uh, with, uh, with very difficult social situations and and my sensation is that civic technologies uh, are faster or, or get more adopted more quickly in these countries because these countries are the ones where people feel the need or feel the urgency to find an alternative to the status quo. It's the reason why Bitcoin grew uh, in Argentina or, in, or is growing in Venezuela or it grew in, in Greece um, because there's the urgency for finding an alternative to, to these uh, super big institutions we call governments. Yeah, let's talk more about that because I've heard some of the uh, very in interesting applications of Bitcoin in Argentina. How do you see Bitcoin being used in Argentina? So uh, I know a couple of facts about that. Um, from uh, It grew 10 times from last year to this year, the volume of Bitcoin transacted in, or operated within Argentina. And, and that's, that's a big deal, uh, 1,000% growth uh, year over year. Um, Argentina has the peculiarity that it's a country that historically has been going from financial crisis to financial crisis. So there's a knack in the general population to uh, not be scared about trying something that is alternative to the official currency. So um, I think that uh, those these 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 uh, these uh, these are very interesting things that are happening, and we're still early days because. Uh, going against the notions of what we were taught uh, and, and educated about what money is, is a very. Uh, it's, it's oh, a very... it's almost it's almost heretical. It's like yeah. this is like a religious exactly. thing. Like if you, if you, I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to your parents about like, hey, so this is this Bitcoin thing, and you know that money stuff that you believe, like it's all yeah. a lie. 
Like that conversation is really hard to have. It's a hard pill to swallow. Um, but uh, that's why in countries like Argentina, uh, say for example the Net Party also, there is, uh, starting up a political party is not an individual uh, startup. It's a collective startup because you don't have funds, you, you are not doing it for the money, you are doing it because you want to change stuff in society through the political means and that requires a lot of citizens committed to spend their, their time and energy and resources on, on a quixotic uh, quest almost and uh, the net party was able to flourish in a city like Buenos Aires because of the um, hostile and, and, and broken political situation in the country same thing and with the, Bitcoin. And the quick and the quixotic nature of the Argentine people <laughs> Well, that's certainly an attribute of Argentines. <laughs> okay, but okay, so let's talk, let's talk more. I mean, speaking of Quixotic, like how do you get like people to work on this platform? How do you get the the open source community to be excited about this project? There's so many open source projects they could be working on. Um, give me a sense of the ethos of the open source community on Democracy OS. That's a, a great question. It's not easy to, to engage the open source community. Um, we have a foundation that uh, actively develops, has a, a team of uh, four full-time developers actively contributing to the, to, to the repository of GitHub and the foundation relies on getting grants in order to further pursue the, the development of the app. But beyond that core team of, of developers, there's um, a large community of uh, different organizations, groups, uh, in universities, in different cities, in different places, uh, where each one of these communities has one developer uh, or one hacker friend that is able to set up an instance or put it on a server. And um, all these guys, they contribute on from the minoritarian things like uh, translating the application to their local language to more complex things like uh, tracking, uh, do, doing the, the quality assurance, tracking bugs, or uh, reporting uh, stuff that's, uh, reporting different stuff about applications, such a thing, ideas, and they, they get involved uh, in our GitHub repo and, and in our Gitter channel where the developers are uh, constantly chatting, uh, figuring out uh, how to sort out the technical hurdles that you might find setting up a democracy OS. Mm. And um, it's, a, it's a collaboration environment. Um, it's, it's not easy. I mean, the, the open, you know, we've been very lucky with, with the, the impact that democracy has had. I think we, it was the right timing for something like that to happen. And uh, we had a, over a thousand pull requests. And, and it's just great to suddenly discover every week a new instance of democracy is out there being used in, 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 a, in, a, in a new way. Yeah, and can you tell me the process from, like, when when was Democracy OS initially written, and when did you open source it, and how long did it take for people to start jumping on and, and hacking on it? Excellent. Uh, well, we started in April 2012, and uh, the first thing we, we got advice, and I think it was a great, great tip that was given to us with, by more experienced uh, developers, is that do it uh, open source this stuff as soon as possible don't do not waste until you have a, a like a professional code or whatever <laughs> that means just just do it right away and be sh don't have any shame about it and that was actually great advice to 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 do it right from day zero 
to put the repo with really uh, uh, nasty, horrible user experience and code and, and stuff. But um, I think that what you do at the beginning of a project of this nature is, uh, you know, going out there and meeting every single coder friend you have and telling him or her about this project and what you want to do with it and check it out, download it. Uh, uh, and, and some of those guys will stick around. Uh, some of those guys will eventually want to make this uh, their professional path and see if they can make a living out of it. And uh, if the thing you know gets is able to, to to get some growth and to get some traction, uh, you know we you you can always work around yourself around finding the right resources to to support it. Um, it's not easy. Uh, especially coming from a country like Argentina, it's definitely not Silicon Valley, uh, but it has the advantage of being an environment where Latin America in general, I would say, has a lot of uh, political activity and, and, and it's a fertile ground for, for these kind of initiatives. So you mentioned that the code was kind of becoming slightly bloated, maybe, or you've got too many excess modules. It sounds like maybe you're going to have to do some major refactoring in the future or maybe maybe i'm wrong but assuming you do how would you how would you institute a major refactor when you're communicating with an open source community you know you can't really like it's i imagine it's hard to like say hey we're now we're going to do project refactor yeah we i agree um uh, i think you know right now democracy OS is being maintained by a, a foundation in buenos aires um, they they have done a series of refactors uh, in order to provide the tool with uh, a better backbone for scalability and, 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 and to make it easier for people to jump in and set up a democracy OS. But uh, it is, it's definitely a hard wall uh, regarding to implement changes in the user experience if you want to go beyond direct democracy. Uh, if you explore other models of democracy, uh, you have to drastically change the user experience, the interfaces, and the design of the application. And it's a hard work regarding if you want to implement uh, a blockchain structure or blockchain data structures on, on the application. Um, so uh, we, we're in the path right now of, uh, as, you know, democracies will take on as a as this open source software, but uh, uh, myself and some of the other developers working on these kind of technologies, we are on the path of uh, starting from scratch uh, because we believe that we, we can take a different path specifically to, to do a proper solution that uh, evolves this idea of um, using the blockchain, which is something that we, we really believe on its potential for this kind of uh, empowering technologies for civic purposes and the other thing is exploring better interfaces for uh, online decision making that go beyond that just direct democracy and another challenge is identity so it's likely that uh, uh, a big refactor uh, i think it's hard to do with with existing code base and with existing community of course it's it's not easy and uh, we want to to start an alternative path taking the, into advantage all of the know-how and experience we had developing and working with Democracy OS. So that is a lot of challenges. And um, I, I'm very curious about how you organize your day or how you strategize or organize your 
uh, business strategy? I mean, because you know you've got these different threads. Uh, you know, this, you know, it sounds like the refactor is is kind of a pressing need. Uh, you know, but at the same time, you've you uh, you know you you want to do this blockchain stuff correctly. So how do you prioritize? I mean, I'm sure as you realized with the with the uh, simplifying uh, nature that you you uh, encountered early on with Democracy OS, oftentimes the best thing to do with a software project is to to do less. But it sounds like you have yeah. some big things that you need to work on, like at least three <laughs> big things, like refactor the application, implement blockchain stuff, and implement identity stuff. Those are three really big problems amazingly big yeah and I agree with you that's why uh, it's not about working on this on your own um, but rather uh, encountering the collaboration spaces with different teams that are tapping into the same problem um, and uh, you know uh, because of what we've done with democracy we've been very lucky to meet extremely talented developers and, and teams of developers that are work working on these spaces and um, my if you, my routine is basically trying to synchronize with some of these projects on what they are doing, what they are delivering, and and, and how can that uh, help what we're trying to do with uh, our work building democratic participation technologies and and how I, I, at the same time how what we are doing with that can help them in their different projects. I think that within the open source community and especially within the community developing blockchain related technologies. Um, the spirit for collaboration and openness is very high and um, we are aware that if we were to become successful with anything of the stuff that we're working on uh, our enemies or the people uncomfortable with what we do won't be just record labels or uh, some big corporation <laughs> it, it will be the, the entire governments uh, of the world so we better be united in this quest uh, aware of what we're trying to to work on, but at at, at the core, I'm a, I'm a deep believer that um, that the the internet is certainly providing a possibility with these technologies of personal sovereignty that is um, a very it's going to become a very relevant political idea in the 21st century. Right. So let's talk some about the net party. What is the net party? So the net party um, is a political party that started in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, uh, with this simple approach of Trojan candidates. Uh, candidates that are committed to always vote in Congress according to what citizens decide in the online platform. And in that sense, it's a party that pro is proposing a, a different social contract, a social contract based on modern day technology and taking advantage of that. Um, the party was uh, run for its first election in 2013. It got 1.2% uh, of the votes in the city of Buenos Aires, which is a very good first result for us. Yeah, it's actually it was great result for us. And because of that, um, a lot of uh, communities in different places, particularly in Argentina, because politics tends to be uh, within the walled gardens of the nation state, uh, we saw different net parties emerge in different uh, provinces and cities of the country and it's just citizens that they organize themselves around this simple idea of uh, trying to do representation in a much more dynamic way and, and using the same logo the same concepts uh, the same aspects of what we're doing 
and um, it, it's been really interesting to follow and to see how these things emerge, how these things grow, how they aim to run for elections. Um, and uh, it's not easy, but uh, it, it's certainly a, a big challenge. So this show is part of a week of shows about Y Combinator. Uh, y Combinator is a startup accelerator that it invests in the early stages of tech companies. So let's talk about your experience in Y Combinator because it, it's somewhat atypical since you are part of a nonprofit. What did you have? What was your product when you got into Y Combinator? Um, so being a nonprofit and being from outside the U.S., I think we had a bigger hurdle to jump. As a, but thankfully, we were already two years. Uh, we had two years of experience, so. Uh, we already have our, our product out there, the GitHub repo. The, with the, I think we had something around, uh, I don't know if a hundred forks or something like that by then. And um, I think what really caught the uh, imagination of uh, the partners of YC was uh, when we mentioned that we did a political party, uh, that it's not just a technological play, that, but we took the bold move of also trying to figure out how technology is fed to the traditional political system. And uh, I remember in the interview, we mentioned that uh, we showed them that we did a, even a massive Trojan horse of, uh, I don't know, 20 feet tall. And, and we moved throughout the city with that Trojan horse. And we, when we showed them the pictures, they said, you did what? You did a, a political party? Uh, how the hell does that work? Uh, and I think that uh, the reason for, for that, that kind of thinking in, in coming from us was something that, that really interested the, the guys of YC. Interesting. Um, but so what features of your app did you have when you got in? So the app was, uh, we had a, a stable beta. Uh, we had all the features that you can see today. Um, uh, you know, we were... Uh, trying to to we, you know we, we weren't really it wasn't really much different from what we still have today um, and uh, the challenge for us was mainly trying to uh, be able to create a global organization from the US that is able to attract activists and and, and, and collaborate with with people from all over the world uh, which that is that's something that from Argentina is practically impossible to do and uh, our, most of our challenges had to do with that. How does Y Combinator look at nonprofits? Because, I mean, they're a startup accelerator. They're interested in making money. What are they assessing when they look at a nonprofit? I think they're definitely looking at it in a very different way than most of the Silicon Valley philanthropic organizations actually see it. Um, they are, uh, the fact that, they, they supported a, a political party and a political idea like ours uh, is a very bold move for something like uh, Y Combinator and, 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 and it, they really do seem to be taking risks. Nonprofits are not common. Uh, in our batch, we were only three nonprofits of uh, 103 companies. Um, so it's not really that they have figured it out in a way to, to, to ramp up and, and scale the nonprofit side of YC. But uh, uh, you know, f even even though we we are a foundation here in California, uh, we took the same approach, the, the same energy, the same lean startup philosophy of executing and, and focusing on product and 
uh, as if we were a for-profit organization ourselves. So um, in that sense, uh, YC is all about focusing on the product, forgetting about everything else, uh, during three months that are extremely intense, and, um, and we took it that way and, and, and we worked that way as if we were a for-profit ourselves. What kinds of product suggestions did Y Combinator give you? A lot, uh, a lot of uh, you know knowledgeable advice, um, like uh, uh, being able to to figure out ways of attracting uh, much more leads uh, by looking into who are the you know council members all over the U.S. rather than just focus. Um, that's that's not necessarily a product uh, tip, but, but I remember this kind of advice like. Don't just focus on the folks that are around here in Palo Alto, San Francisco, or whatever. Uh, go and search for the web for absolutely every single council member in the U.S. and and see how you can uh, reach them in a scalable way and provide them with your technology. Um, that kind of mentality, that kind of uh, way of looking at problems, uh, I think it's a it's a very interesting uh, lesson of of the kind of advice you usually see at YC. Was there anything counterintuitive that you learned at Y Combinator? Mm, counterintuitive. Um, uh, I, I tend to suspect that yes, but I, I might not remember. Uh, what I was impressed about YC is, is that a lot of my fellow batchmates um, were extremely... Uh, bold in their projects, like with, with extraordinary. Some of the projects were aiming to to tap into very very difficult problems, uh, from uh, lowering the costs of sending stuff to space to, um, you know, uh, figuring out better ways to do big data to to diagnose cancer. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's a really humbling environment when you are surrounded by by such bold projects, great ideas. Uh, a lot of very generous uh, people around and the fact that you can always reach to, to the YC partners anytime uh, it's it's actually uh, truly a, a great opportunity and um, you, you just get inspired by being surrounded in an environment like that and, and obviously you make great friends as well Yeah, speaking of that, everybody that we talked to mentions the value of the YC network. What what were the strong relationships that you developed, and how did they how have they helped you out? You know, beyond Y Combinator. Well, I, I still uh, I am in touch with a lot of my fellow YC batchmates. Um, you the the fact that you know this the, this this very simple thing that pretty much everyone knows what deal they got at the beginning, this 120K for 7% of the, of the company, the, the YC model, uh, really sets anyone at the, at the same level. And, 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 you know, it's very open within the network to share information about uh, how you're going, if you're doing a VC round or if you are going through um, some challenges regarding uh, all the different aspects that, that usually happen in startups uh, and, and the communities it's very open, very straightforward to, to help each other out. Uh, especially for us as a nonprofit, we we had a lot of support from from our fellow batchmates because um, 
yeah, we are the ones that are not uh, doing these things for greedy reasons. <laughs> so um, uh, I think uh, uh, it's a, an extremely supportive community. Uh, and uh, another aspect of it is uh, the brand value of YC has grown to become very strong. Uh, and uh, to us, it opened us a lot of doors in the civic tech space, uh, even in New York or in Philadelphia, in Washington, as well as here in San Francisco. Um, the fact that each time that we name dropped that we were at uh, Y Combinator uh, really you know, helped to, to push the conversation in our favor whether we were talking to a, you know, uh, to a council member or we were talking to, to a potential donor. Were there any other nonprofits that have gone through YC whose path you were able to learn from? We, yeah, the, there was one called Watsi, um, the founder of Watsi, Chase Adam, excellent guy. Uh, when we were to, you know, right after YC, we focused on fundraising and uh, Chase gave us uh, excellent advice on how to pursue that process how how uh, from from the, the, the you know uh, pre preparing yourself for three months of uh, countless meetings and uh, uh, you know fighting the fear of asking for money to a potential donor the tiny things that that help you gain the, the necessary strength to go through that that process that can be extremely stressful at a certain moments, and uh, and um, you know, uh, Watsi is a great nonprofit. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, in our batch we had a the Detroit Water Project that, that was helping uh, people in Detroit get access to to, to uh, water services and um, Serum, which is a marketplace for uh, used medicine and. Uh, it's it's great to exchange notes because we are all facing similar challenges. So at Y Combinator Demo Day, every company has a graph with a metric that they're focusing on throughout the accelerator. What was the metric that you were focused on? Um, in our case, was uh, the the official institutions uh, that have implemented democracy, the official governments. Or uh, yeah, governments at all scales, local, federal, or or or, or state level, uh, that were using democracy OS, and um, we we tried to show our impact uh, regarding to to that metric, uh, not so much as, as to revenue generating. What what our goal is at the end of the day is to be able to generate civic engagement, um, and uh, when you get a city of two million people or a or a or a city of uh, 100,000 people, the fact that uh, officially we have institutions that are able to, to, to get these people, give them the right to participate in their uh, bill-making process or in the decision-making process of, of the laws of the community. Uh, that was the metric we cared about. Um, but uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if, it's, if it was the best growth metric because, uh, you know, it's a... Our space is particularly strange uh, because it's not for profit, but it's also politics. And um, in politics, usually the one metric that 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 reigns is votes. Uh, and for the voting aspect, it's not so much democracy OS as a technology, but uh, the political party within Argentina. And obviously, we cannot do a political party uh, abroad. 
Um, that's why uh, maybe now we're actually figuring out if we can do uh, a political party as a service that runs entirely online and, and focus on, on metrics uh, regarding that using uh, uh, blockchain transactions. But I don't know. We're just right. thinking. <laughs> Interesting. Well, what could you can you talk more about that? What do you mean by that? So, um, we know that uh, you know the that if we want to pursue this idea of uh, organizations that govern themselves using digital means and digital technologies, and um, we want to give these kinds of organizations. Uh, uh, recognition from society at the end of the day these are political ideas that are not written in paper theory but rather are political ideas that are being programmed and uh, when we did the net party in Buenos Aires we we kind of took an approach of a hybrid model where we do a software a typical open source software and uh, and a political party a typical political party with with people inside in it and, and you know, the usual challenges that uh, political organizations face. And um, after three years of doing that, uh, some of the insights of, or some of the lessons that we learned is that at the beginning, a political party might want to be an, is, is, can be a novelty within the political environment of your country or of your society, but sooner or later, um, the 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 political environment of your society or your country will enter your that political party and the traditional tactics that you usually see in political spaces are bound to happen and that can end up making some of these spaces you know extremely competitive and have two sides uh, the usual stuff that happens in, in in political organizations and it's a I think that one thing that is very interesting to me is that if we are claiming the possibility of defining rules of governance online and building institutions online uh, why not figure out a way of doing a political party a hundred percent online how will democracy work in ten years Hmm, in a decade. Um, how democracy will work in 10 years? Um, that's a, I think that uh, I'd certainly like to see um, that in 10 years from now, you, we should be able to set up an institution in the same way that we set up a server. And uh, in that sense, I think that... Uh, this new generation of institutions um, that do not depend on the intermediation of uh, governments or uh, banks in any, uh, uh, in, at least in the way we know them today, um, that run uh, on the internet assigning tasks or getting funds or taking decisions uh, through different set of technologies mounted on, on, on distributed networks like the blockchain or, or whatever comes next after the blockchain, I think that uh, that's, that is going to, to assign more and more uh, importance to the political role that the internet is playing in the world right now. 
Um, and we have some like episodes in the last couple of years about that. We have the Arab Spring, we had Edward, Edward Snowden, we have Julian, Julian Assange, WikiLeaks. Uh, all these geopolitical events uh, have to do with the rise of the internet and the rise of a generation that is being educated by the internet. And uh, in 10 years from now, a lot of the millennials out there will be starting to be in their 40s, in their late 30s. And um, I'm very confident that that generation is able to, to, to figure out ways of letting the world, the world govern itself uh, in, in, in ways that it, power is not as concentrated as it is right now, where you have a couple hundred representatives for a couple hundred million people. I think that level of concentration is abusive and, and is the main reason for so much corruption in, in so many countries around the world. And um, a lot of the citizens of good faith that want to that do not want to partake in that kind of uh, power structures will emancipate themselves uh, through, through uh, some of the technology that we were talking about today. And, and I like that idea, that, that concept of reaching personal sovereignty. Yes, well, I like that idea too, and I'm a big fan of Democracy OS. So thank you so much for coming on, Santiago. Thank you very much for, for having me, Jeff, yeah, that you did. Thanks for that. Thank you.